Ladies and gentlemen, this is Pause Reviews. Welcome back, one and all, to another episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast, what is essentially our Christmas episode, because we will be on break next week. As always, I'm your host, Frank, and I am sad to announce that Tim is not joining us this week, as he and his wife make their final preparations to welcome their new addition in the coming days, weeks, who knows with these things, right? However, I am thrilled to welcome back our dear friend and special guest host, Joseph. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm really looking forward to talking about these movies. I think we have some differing opinions on them. So, <laughs> ah, This was the thing that had me most excited and most dreading this episode. <laughs> because if there's one thing I know about Joe, and anyone who's listened to this show where Joe has been a co-host, it's that Joe famously abhors anything universally beloved by the masses. When it comes to Christmas and Christmas movies, I'm a complete and total Grinch. Uh, just... <laughs> that is exactly what you are. Yes. <laughs> Tear everything down. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Like we talked about last episode, the only good Christmas movie is Love Actually. And we've already watched that. So, I mean, what can I say about these? <laughs> it's... It is it is genuinely amazing to me that now I don't do you feel like that is a because correct me if I'm wrong the movies we're talking about today you had never seen prior to today that's correct yeah I haven't I haven't watched any of these before so All brand new to say that the only good Christmas movie is Love Actually does that come from a genuine <laughs> place or simply the fact that you've only seen now. Four Christmas movies. <laughs> I've, I've seen a few more than four Christmas movies. Chalk in there, uh, Home Alone. I've seen that, and I've seen uh, I've seen a few more Christmas movies in there. So, but now now I have added three more to my list. <laughs> <laughs> this is insane to me. All right, what are we talking about this week? So, going into the Christmas holiday, uh, this week Tim and I were planning on giving you our annual must-watch Christmas movies. Our list did not include universal classics like It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Story, A Christmas Carol, or even Christmas Vacation. By now, we're also well aware of Tim's undying and unyielding love of the Rankin-Bass claymation classics, but these are obvious givens that most folks who celebrate Christmas, and even many who don't, work through these movies at some point during the month because they are just so beloved. Joe, have you seen any of those? I've definitely seen a few of those. Uh, Miracle... <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street, you know, the classic claymation Christmas ones. No, all, all those are, are great. Uh, great's a strong word. Uh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> But I have watched those. I'm just not a big Christmas yeah. movie type of guy. Like, yeah, I happiness. Just... You're not a big happiness kind no, of guy. No, 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 no. Joseph's heart is two sizes <laughs> too small. I identify with the Grinch so strongly. <laughs> so, uh, I'm surprised that one's not your favorite. <laughs> yeah, it, it should be, right? You're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Joe. All right. <laughs> 
Our list, I will warn you, does include one universal modern classic, which we will get to momentarily, but generally our goal was to provide you a list of movies that you may or may not have in your arsenal this time of year, but certainly will not disappoint, and they make it into ours. So, and again, when I say ours, I meant Tim and I. We This is what we had planned going into this. Our top two movies were the same this year, and then we were each going to throw in an additional one that was a bit more out of the box, a bit of a curveball, right? However, since Tim isn't here, and I don't want to try to speak for him, and Joe has already made it very clear that he only watches one Christmas movie ever, uh, we already discussed that one last week, uh, this week will basically be all about my top three lists. So does that sound fair, Joe? And I and I feel like given your utter resentment for anything awesome, it, it will make for at least an interesting conversation of just, I'll give my list and you can tell me why you hate it so. <laughs> I love it. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's Rewind with my number three choice, which was Four Christmases starring Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn, came out in 2008. It's rated PG-13, and like most Christmas movies, a real lean runtime, 88 minutes. It is currently playing on AMC with any TV subscription, so you can catch it this time of year, uh, usually on cable, with no problems. Now, I will give a quick shout-out that Tim's pick for his number three slot was going to be Christmas with the Cranks. I have never seen it. I did not get a chance to see it before today's episode, so we're not going to talk about that one at all. But if you're a diehard fan of this movie, just know that Tim was with you. (laughs) So now back to Four Christmases. Joe, I'm very curious to hear, before we dive into why it's on my list, what were your thoughts on this movie? Uh, I mean, overall, I feel like the movie's all right. Yeah. I I did chuckle at a few parts. It was... A generic comedy to me. Uh, just to me, it just felt like it was a generic sort of Vince Vaughn type comedy set during Christmas time. However, I I did get this weird feeling between the interactions between uh, Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. Like I, I I liked how they interacted, but at certain parts, just something just felt kind of off. If that makes sense. Mm. And so I, I did some googling, and I found out that apparently during the filming of this movie both reese witherspoon and vince fawn could not stand each other did it say why apparently she was very strict about like showing up to ta- showing up on time to to film her scenes he would apparently just roll in whenever he felt like it uh and so it just sort of that that sort of type a and type b sort of personality apparently did not get along very well uh, to say the least. And apparently there was even an extra sex scene that wasn't put into the movie because, like, she just could not stand him. Just their overall chemistry during that scene was absolutely atrocious, apparently. So they just nixed it. That was just really interesting to me. That's absolutely wild. So I, it's so funny. I agree with you. This may be the one movie we, I guess, agree on in theory, in the sense that this one is an average movie, for sure. And it very much feels like a typical Vince Vaughn comedy, and not necessarily a great one. 
You know, this is no <laughs> Wedding Crashers or anything like that. Yeah. But it feels like a very classic Vince Vaughn comedy that just happens to be set at Christmas. And I feel like maybe that's kind of what I'm drawn to. I genuinely can't say or put my finger on exactly why it is that I watch this movie every year at Christmas. Maybe it's just that when I saw it, it just hit a note for me that needed to be hit. With so many of these movies, especially Christmas movies, nostalgia is a big part of it. And a movie yeah. will stick with you if it just happens to hit at the right moment in time in your life. And it's not only limited to Christmas movies, right? I mean, how many movies do we watch where if we watch it later in life, it becomes a guilty pleasure, right? Like it triggers the nostalgia or whatever because it doesn't really hold up, but it just reminds you of something else. And, and it must be what happened with this movie because every time I watch it, nothing wows you. It's not an overwhelmingly Christmassy movie. It's not an overwhelmingly hilarious movie. It just sort of is an average comedy. But I think there are certain moments that hit so well for me that they stuck and, and sort of kept it in my repertoire, as it were, for, for the subsequent years. Scenes that stand out to me are the swaddling the baby Jesus scene. Uh, Vince Vaughn is like his most Vince Vaughnian in that in that scene, I think, <laughs> you know, and, and it's so over the top and ridiculous. I think the portrayal of the church that Reese Witherspoon's mom goes to cracks me up because I've seen churches like this and I've been to them and I think they're ridiculous. So I think that plays is really funny to me. I think Robert Duvall is hilarious like he is just so over the top crazy pants in this movie that it, it it feels it feels somehow very in line with him and also very out of character. And I'm fascinated to find out that Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon didn't get along because it's when it's so funny that when you saw it, you kind of picked up on that lack of chemistry, whereas I find them to have really great chemistry in this movie and actually was thinking like why haven't they done more things together you know and and at the beginning of the movie i i felt the same thing uh mm. about them having really great chemistry uh especially that first opening scene where they're sort of role playing that just really caught me by surprise when he just sort of switches and then they just go at it uh, you know in the bathroom so i liked their chemistry there but then as the movie continues it just i don't know just something felt a little forced in their interactions, um, which I, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on what it was, but just something just felt a little off kilter for me. I will say, and this is a, you know, this is a struggle for any holiday movie, especially because they tend to be very short. Um, there's not a lot of runtime to really play with much of it, and you're really digging yourself a bit of a hole by committing to four Christmases in less than an hour <laughs> and a half. Right, we've got Act One set up. We've got to meet the two main characters for the whole first twenty percent of the movie, and so you're really only leaving eighty percent of that runtime to, and not even that. You're leaving less than eighty percent to introduce these four families because then you've still got to clean it all up at the end. So I think something that does areas where this movie struggles is number one, that switch for Reese Witherspoon. You know, she and Vince Vaughn are a couple who 
don't really adhere to the classic concepts of Christmas. They use that time for themselves to go on vacations and lie to their families. They haven't seen their families over the holidays in the three years they've been together. They are fogged into San Francisco, and so now they have no excuse and they have to go see their families. She makes this shift from being this unique fucking the trend couple her and Vince Vaughn where we're never going to get married we don't do holidays we don't want kids and she's so gung-ho about that in that first act and and the switch that she triggers in the movie to suddenly wanting kids wanting family wanting marriage wanting to know that that is possible happens very just out of nowhere she sees some kids who are her sister's kids who arguably she has at least seen in context. Like, you know, they're aware of their aunt. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, Oh, absolutely. I, I just, I don't get what triggers this change of heart. And, and so that's, that hurts the movie, I think. And, and additionally, there's characters. Again, you're, you're force feeding some of these parents and John Voigt comes on is almost an afterthought in this movie. He plays Reese Witherspoon's father in the movie. And whereas some real screen time is given to Duvall and Mary Steenburgen in particular, like we get a lot of time with her. Yeah. Um, very little attention is paid to her father. And, and so he just feels there are characters that just feel sort of dropped in. So it's a, it feels a little bit piecemeal together and not fully thought out and flushed out. But again, that's not what I'm looking for. And I think it hits enough notes that it puts it on my list. But that's why it couldn't be more than an average movie. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with you. It's the definition of sort of an average movie. If it's playing on, you know, in the background, I'd leave it on. But it's not, definitely nothing to write home about. For me, Vince Vaughn's mother marrying his best friend, I think was particularly funny for me. Because my mother remarried... When, when we were older, my sister and I were older, and she married her brother's best friend. And her brother is <laughs> 10 years her junior. So my mother is a certified cradle robber. Husband's 11 <laughs> years younger than her, you know, and was her baby brother's best friend. And so when I watch that scene, it's not ridiculous <laughs> to me <laughs> because I've lived something similar. And, and not me personally, but just watching the relationship between my dad and his best friend totally change when you start banging his sister and marry her and now suddenly you're it's just it's a weird dynamic and it's hysterical so watching that on screen and and maybe that's it you know some of these characters just hit notes like i said that really trigger funny things in my own life that i could relate to maybe more than an average viewer so this one just stuck with me character wise it, it maybe hits three out of four of the parents you know, there are characters in there that seem like a bit of a waste or, or forced. You know, the the older niece is annoying. You know, the oh one who goodness. steals yes, the... She is. Oh, oh, she's my so goodness. annoying. Kristen Chenoweth in this movie, and I love her. I found her to be obnoxious. John Voight, like I mentioned. There there are some definite downsides, but I think there's there's more good than bad. And for an average movie... I think it's a decent Christmas watch, and if it's one you've never seen before, it'll mix things up, and and I think it's it's fun. It'll do enough to do its job. I gave it a 5 out of 10. I put this as a right-down-the-middle average movie. That seems like a very fair assessment. I'd also give it a 5 out of 10. I'm just, actually surprised you went that high. Well, I mean, just because it, it may not be a movie that I would necessarily watch again, it's still an average-of-the-road you know, movie, so I'll... 
a five out of ten seems fair. Nice. Okay. So we're <laughs> we're opening up with some sugar before we dive into the salt. Because now we're gonna talk about something that I feel like we're going to differ on much, oh, yes. much more. <laughs> so my number two must watch of the season, as is for most people, I'm sure, is two thousand three's modern Christmas classic Elf, starring Zooey De Chanel and Will Ferrell. The movie's rated PG. It runs 97 minutes. You can watch it right now with a Starz subscription, or as most Christmas movies we've been talking about this year, on AMC with a cable subscription. So you can see it on TV as well. Now, this is probably one that wouldn't have made this list because I do genuinely consider this one a universally beloved Christmas classic. Perhaps the most recent Christmas classic. Well, up until this next one. You know, and we talked a little bit about it last week, Joe, when we were talking about Love Actually. This movie came out the same year, 2003. And I yep. think we, we talked about a few reasons why maybe Love Actually has failed to, to really break into that universal Christmas classic realm just because it doesn't appeal to a mass audience. And that yep. is what Elf successfully did in 2003. So I think, you know, the reason it's on here, number one, it's an interesting thing to talk about given what we spoke about last week. Netflix also released a special, so they do the Movies That Made Us series. They did a holiday edition, the holiday Movies That Made Us, available now on Netflix, and it did an episode on Elf. And that, along with our conversation last week, I felt like it meant that we had to talk about this one. Otherwise, it would be on the shelf with all the others. The main reason, though, that I had to include this is because I love a story of a group of nobodies coming together to create something universally beloved. And believe it or not, it's hard to believe now, but that is exactly what happened to Elf. I mean, you look at the cast and you look at the people involved and they are household names. That was not the case in 2003 when this movie came out. Joe, you had never seen this movie before. Let's start off with your thoughts on the movie Elf. Uh, overall, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can understand why you would call this a modern Christmas classic. Because it is. It, I mean, it, it does hit the notes that I think Love Actually didn't in terms of being uh, made for a, for a much broader audience. This is like you saying, I can understand why someone would say the sun is hot. <laughs> because science has proven it is, Joe. Oh, don't, don't, you're, you're going to turn me into a flat earther here. Uh, <laughs> no one's but, making you, Joe. These are choices you make. Okay, I'll say this. I am not a fan of Will Ferrell. Okay. I used to watch him on SNL. He was all right to me there. Uh, I, I guess he didn't really start his, his movie career until after he left SNL, which I think he left right before I think this movie was made. I think he left in around 2002, maybe 2003, somewhere around that time frame. This movie, to me, is Will Ferrell running at maybe 50% of his normal frenetic sort of energy that I feel that he normally has in his movies. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like if you love that energy, you'll love this movie, even though it's maybe not 
quite as high as you know he he normally is. But for me, still fifty percent is a little too much. And honestly, I think that's the biggest drawback that this movie has for me. It's just Will Ferrell. I liked the general plot of it. I liked the concept of the movie. You know, the, the acting was was decent. There, there were some pieces that I didn't quite buy, such as Buddy's dad's uh, sort of character arc suddenly switching to being this wholesome family man. Mm. Uh, that was just way too quick for me, like that turn. But overall, I liked the movie. Just the only thing that killed it for me was Will Ferrell. I struggle a little bit with that for a couple of reasons. So number one, you're spot on. And actually, this this may debunk a little bit of of what I had prepared in my mind as, <laughs> as an argument to you. Because you said you watched Will Ferrell on SNL. The truth yes. is, most people had no clue who Will Ferrell was. A lot of people didn't really watch SNL. This was the tail end of SNL's sort of peak of the 90s into the early 2000s. You know, we're starting to come out of that wave. And so fewer and fewer people are watching that. And Old School had not come out yet. So Old School was actually being filmed just before Elf. Elf was filmed on a really short turn. So Will Ferrell was shooting Old School. That wrapped, they started shooting Elf, but no one had seen him in a major motion picture yet. And and he was a big reason why this movie wasn't going to get made. So originally, hmm. who they wanted to cast was Chris Farley. And Chris Farley was going to be Buddy the Elf, and it was going to be a very different movie. But the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the writer... David, the writer David Berenbaum, and we talked a little bit about limited uh, or literary purchase agreements or purchase options, LPOs, uh, in a yeah. previous episode. When we talked about John Wick, we talked about how LPOs kind of work. So the studio had optioned Berenbaum's movie for one year. And when Berenbaum found out that they were going to cast Chris Farley, he just sat on it, like really slowed down the works for an entire year until the LPO expired and then did not renew it so he could get it back and shop it to somebody else. That's how he just, this was not the movie he wanted to make. He was a massive fan of the Rankin-Bass movies and wanted to make a genuine Christmas classic. And and he knew that Chris Farley wasn't going to make that happen. So Will Ferrell got attached to it because the one thing people got from him in his SNL days, he wasn't the over-the-top, insane, boisterous actor we've come to know. But he always came off as a very sincere, genuine, lovable type guy in SNL. And they thought that would translate well to Buddy the Elf. And so, and I genuinely agree. I, I yep. find that the people who don't like Elf are people who found it later. You had not seen it until this year. And yep. so you've been much more exposed to the stepbrothers. You had seen Old School already. You had seen him, Wedding Crashers and all this other stuff where he plays these outlandish characters. And so this movie feels very much out of the norm. But yes. in 2003, any of us who saw it when it first dropped, this was almost our first viewing of him. And in fact, Old School dropped just before it. And so he became a massive name and that really propelled elf even higher because he went immediately from being a nobody to being a somebody. It's the same thing that happened to Steve Carell right before 40 year old virgin. 
he's a nobody, and then he does 40-year-old virgin, and then all of a sudden there's a massive star in the office, you know? So this this kind of tends to happen where they take these gambles on on people and they end up blowing up right before the movie drops. So anyways, all of this is to say that I would make the case that given that you haven't seen this movie until later in life, if you had seen this movie in 2003, would you have felt differently about Will Ferrell? If this was the first thing you'd seen with him, would this setting the stage be more tolerable? Because I can't help but feel that the people, and I understand why people don't like him, but I can't help but feel that people who don't like Will Ferrell, when they watch Elf and they say they still don't like him, it's simply out of commitment of hating Will Ferrell at that point because he's very different from what he normally plays. I completely agree. Uh, so let me let me jump in my time machine for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Go all the way back, what, 17 years at this point. Uh-huh. Um, and you were what, a junior? I, I, I was out of high school a year. So you were a junior or a senior yeah, maybe? Yeah, I was a junior, 17 years old. Yeah. I think I'm... If I'm being completely honest, I might have had a slightly more favorable favorable reaction to the movie. Mm. But I think overall, this would not have been a classic for me. Uh, I, I remember at the time, a lot of my friends really loved the movie. And it, they, they even still love the movie. But I don't know. Even my, my sense of humor really hasn't changed over the years. And certain things just... Actively, instead of instead of just uh, being completely neutral to me, actively turn me off like that gross out sort of uh, the humor. For example, like the, the the spaghetti eating scene, and he's just like eating that spaghetti, just making a complete mess of it, and the stuff is spilling all over the all over the table, and and, and his just... fingers are sticky, and now they're gonna have ants. <laughs> ants and all sorts of insects yeah no i don't know like just something about that just makes me like i it just it just makes me like shrivel up and enjoy the movie less throughout the movie there there are a little bit of instances like that but if you were to remove completely all of those specific scenes and leave the rest of it in i would enjoy that a lot more and and I think at that point I would give it a much higher rating than I would now, but... But does that not feed the fish out of water storyline? I mean, this is a movie about a human being raised for 30 years as an elf who returns to, you know, New York to find his birth father, his human birth father, and he grew up in the North Pole eating candy and syrup and sh- he's never seen spaghetti before, he doesn't know what it is. And so this is like this is like the scene in Splash when the mermaid eats like the lobster raw or, or whatever. You know, she, that's how she eats them in the ocean. This is that fish out of water weird eating whatever that sort of highlights how different he is from a normal person. But see, I think this is pushing that to an extreme because nowhere did I get the impression. Daryl Hannah the- ate a living lobster. <laughs> he ate some Skittles on spaghetti. But the way that he ate it, that's the thing for me that's killing me. Because nowhere did I get the impression that in the North Pole, that is how they eat things. You know, I, like the me- big gluttonous bites. Yes, and just that mess and everything falling all over the place. He's and so hooked on this. 
I just oh it just it, it gets me like it just there's it just stabs me and just twists the knife it just i i can't get over it and just just because it does feel so out of place but not in a good way you know in the north pole everything everything seems to be very organized and i don't want to necessarily use the word regulated but everything seems to sort of be in its place Everyone has their jobs. You don't really see people or the elves eating, but you get a sense that everything is clean and organized. I would assume that Will Ferrell or Buddy would have grown up with those neat, orderly customs. And but just he also, they- but you have to remember, he, this is a double fish out of water. He's not an elf who finally, who suddenly finds himself in the real world. Again, to use the example of Splash, she was a full-blown mermaid who happens to experience life as a human for the first time. Buddy is a human who has never felt like he fit in in the North Pole. And now he's in New York. You know, he eats like a slob, but so do some of us, right? And then you factor in the sugar that making the meals weird. That's the elf influence. It's this, it's just, there's a double dynamic in here. But, okay, not to dwell on the spaghetti, <laughs> but let's let's assume you're not a weirdo and you can get past the messy dish, right? Because that we're talking about, like, one scene. But the movie after that, right, this sincere like I said, a, a, a character who is not at home anywhere. He's not at home in the North Pole. He's not at home in, in in New York. He, you know, his family up north, they're trying to accept him, but he clearly doesn't fit in. His family down here doesn't know him, and all he wants is acceptance, and all he's looking for is that. But he's also this, because he grew up as an elf, he's this wholesome, loving really sincere and genuine character and i think will ferrell does an excellent job portraying that and also portraying the hurt he feels getting his heart broken for the first time and and trying to figure out all these things i feel like all of that comes across and it's really what makes this movie something really special and especially like i said given the fact that this is a, a group of nobodies who were able to pull this thing together. I mean, John Favreau, when he came on board, he had only directed one other movie. It was a movie called Made, and he wasn't a well-known person. Obviously, now he is a household name. You know, Mandalorian, Iron Man, the Avengers movies, the Disney live-action stuff. You know, he's done it all. But back then, he had done nothing. And the three things he said he wanted to accomplish was that he wanted this to be a wholesome family movie. He wanted this to be a modern classic and he wanted it to be like a claymation type classic, right? This is all stuff they talk about in the Netflix special. And I think they succeeded in all of that and they had to battle a lot of odds to do it. And in a million years, you don't get this team back together. You know, not this team in particular, but it's it would be very difficult for you to, to make this happen again. Even John Wick landed Keanu Reeves. Will Ferrell's a nobody when they make this movie. Zoe Deschanel's a nobody. Their biggest name is James Caan, you know, and, yeah. and Mary Steenburgen. But, uh, you know, again, this is, I think this is a once-in-a-decade type movie that if you get past that little moment, it really is something special. I, I, I do agree with you there. His acting out of any Will Ferrell movie that I've seen is probably the best that I've seen. His sincerity the genuine sort of wonder and childlike uh, just excitement for Christmas is very evident. 
I, I totally buy his character. He he absolutely sells it as a real, believable human that was raised as an elf and has now and, and is now exploring New York City, finding his father. I a hundred percent buy it. Just the little scenes where Will Ferrell is being Will Ferrell. That's uh, <laughs> this is uh, the best movie Will Ferrell's ever made. But the scenes that he's in ruin this movie. <laughs> Did I capture that? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't think we need to belabor Elf. It, I, I think the movie speaks for itself. I'm sure there are people in your camp as well, you know, people who really just can't get behind Will Ferrell in this. And I can understand it to an extent. But I think at the end of the day, this movie really does achieve something impossible, which is creating a true and genuine modern Christmas classic that can sit on the shelf with some of those other massive favorites that I listed off in the beginning and, and hold its own. And, and, argue, and it often ranks higher than even most of those, which is, that is no small feat. I gave Elf a 7.5 out of 10. I think I'd want to give it... Six and a half or seven out of ten. Again, higher than I would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> Again, How can we be I, so so distant in the conversation, <laughs> but yet so close in the actual rating? I don't think I don't think you know what like a seven means. <laughs> so this is better than than an average, I think, Christmas movie. Okay. If you if you can just of like the you said, four if, you've seen. At, <laughs> Hey, hey, it's probably five. <laughs> Let's be honest here. But but if you can if if you can get past Will Ferrell being himself in some scenes, not not throughout the whole movie, it's a very genuine and charming movie overall. And so I'll definitely agree that it's it's a little higher than than you know your average run of the mill Christmas movie. So that's why I'm giving it like a six and a half, maybe seven, if I'm being very generous. Um, but somewhere, somewhere around there, six point seven five. How about that? Okay, okay, <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll, I'll dig. I'll dig that. I'm, I'm very confused as to what's happening right now, but I'll take it. You know, I feel like we're faring much better than I expected. <laughs> I mean, what has become convinced Joe that Christmas is fun. <laughs> I mean, just just because I... On this day, I, Joe's heart grew two sizes bigger. <laughs> just because there are some things in movies that I that really get to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, in I a negative like, way, you mean. In a negative way, yes. I still like looking at the movie overall. So that's, that's where these ratings are coming from. I want to wrap up this episode with my number one pick. This movie leaves me speechless the movie is klaus it is on netflix and it's uh from 2019 rated pg 96 minutes and absolutely unequivocally dethrones elf as the most recent modern christmas classic and just skyrockets to the top of my list klaus is a netflix original animated film it's their first original animated feature And it is the first, it is the writing and directorial debut for animator Sergio Pablos. Now, he had written things before, but this is his screenwriting debut. He had not adapted a story he created to a screenplay before this. 
Before I just go absolute ham gush fest on this movie, let's keep it rolling. Joe, what were your thoughts on 2019's Klaus? Uh, all right, so oh, Jesus. No, 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 no. It's, Sweet it's, baby it's, Jesus. It's out, out of the out of the three movies that we watched, it was by far the best one. Oh, okay, I'll take that. That's a good start. It, Yes, by far it was the best one. There were times where I didn't just I, the 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 animation of it was just absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. Um, overall, the story was good. <laughs> it it <laughs> it felt very formulaic to me. It it felt very cookie cutter in that sense. And while I can see it being a good family Christmas movie that everyone may want to watch year after year. Is it an amazing, great Christmas movie? Or is it an amazing movie? Just movie, just period. Uh... Unreal to me. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. Ooh, let's get into this one. Oh. Okay, where do, you, where do you want to start? Do you want to start? We'll, we'll, we'll hold the plot. We'll hold the plot. Okay. Let's do a little bit of the background first. And, and really what makes this movie so incredibly special because for me when you watch this movie it cha it changes you it changes you to your core <laughs> it did for me but then when you read about it a little bit more it becomes even more special so as i mentioned sergio pablos uh, wrote and directed the feature he is a Spanish writer, director, and animator. He has worked as an animator on such films as The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Hercules, Tarzan, Treasure Planet, all for Disney Studios. And then he's also worked on the film Rio, which I believe was a DreamWorks production. He wrote the original stories for Despicable Me and Smallfoot. So while he wrote those original stories, he did not do the screenplays. This movie was both his directorial and screenwriting debut as I mentioned, this movie was not only Netflix's first animated feature film, it was its first film at all to ever be nominated for an Academy Award when it got the nomination for Best Animated Feature. At the Oscars, it lost to Toy Story 4, which, if you ask Tim, is the worst movie ever made in the history of movies. So that one pissed off a lot of people because they felt like Toy Story just won because of its brand name. Like, the movie itself was not very good. This movie did, however, win the BAFTA, which is essentially the British Oscars, for Best Animated Film. Pablos, like I said, worked for decades as an animator, spending years with Disney before setting up his own animation studio in Madrid, Spain, SPA Studios or Sergio Pablos Animation Studios. He decided that he wanted to develop a new feature film using traditional 2D animation techniques where each frame is hand-drawn without the aid of computer animation. Essentially, he wanted to show what animation could have been and become had Western studios not switched to computer animation in the 90s. Uh, are you telling me that there is zero computer animation in this movie? Not one single bit. Every single frame is hand-drawn, painted to the nines. That is absolutely incredible. I would have bet a million dollars that there was at least some computer animation and some of the scenes uh just because it's it's so fluid the the way that it looks is just absolutely 
crisp and clear and it's just it's so beautiful um that's it's, that's, it's that's a, actually quite shocking yeah it's like it's sumptuous like this movie is really tactile and a lot of attention is paid to those textures and then additionally you have that contrast right with the world they create being very gray and mudded and muted and yeah. and then you slowly bring in the the bright vibrant colors the story moves forward especially with that you know, like indigenous tribe or, or whatever they are, the you know that live on the ice. Um, yeah, with, with the reds super, and the blues, the super bright colors. Mm-hmm. But when you watch it, I mean, there's parts like where the wind is kicking up the the snow, and and just it looks very three D. It looks computer generated, but but it is not. It is fully hand drawn, and he wanted to show exactly that. People, when Toy Story came around, everyone was like, "Oh, this is the future. This is how we have to do it." Realism. You can only achieve realism through you know computer generated stuff which i think if you're going for hyper realism or photo realism that's probably true but because just the amount of time it would take to paint frame by frame and be photorealistic is not fiscally responsible right yeah but i think what he showed was even if it's a unique take or, or it's very stylized but yet very three-dimensional you can achieve all these things and not have to go that route and really celebrate the art form that animation is and especially used to be when there were people actually painting it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 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 really shocked by this and 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 I really wonder too where the art of hand-drawn animation if if it had been continued by by uh, you know, a lot of these animation studios, instead of moving specifically to digital, um, where it could be right now, it's just it's it's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. With the yeah, with this movie. Oh no, without a doubt. So Pablo started shopping this idea around the idea of the script and doing it hand drawn, and was rejected at every turn because studios obviously saw it as too risky. Enter Netflix, <laughs> as <laughs> always. So Netflix comes in and acquires the global rights to Klaus in 2017, and in March of 2019, announced a limited theatrical run. We've talked about this in a previous episode, right? In order to qualify for the Oscars, you must four-wall or, or play in a movie theater in either L.A. or New York for seven consecutive days. So you have to four-wall for a single week at least, in one of those two markets, or both. So Netflix go ahead, goes ahead and runs it in theaters one week prior to its November 2019 release on Netflix in order to qualify for the Oscars, and it absolutely works. It would make it Netflix's first original animated feature film and eventually the first film to get an Oscar nomination, even though it was totally, totally snubbed thanks to Toy Story 4 and its horrificness. As for the movie itself, this has become genuinely one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. It is universally well-received by critics and audiences alike. I'm going to watch it again with my family on Christmas Eve. I cannot wait. It is one of those movies that once you've seen it, you just can't stop thinking about it. Whether it's the art and how beautiful it is, it's full of depth and texture like we talked about. I found the story to be impeccable and a welcome spin on this legendary origin story. You know, and as you watch it, you immediately just start to buy into every bit and you find yourself genuinely thinking, uh, this might be true because I found it to be relatable, believable, and, and grounded almost in reality. So 
let's get into the story a little bit. It, it basically tells the story of a postman whose father is the postmaster general. He is super wealthy. He's super spoiled. And his father trying to teach him some semblance of responsibility cut, threatens to cut him off unless he goes up to this super northern, like, Nordic town where nobody lives and establishes a successful post office that delivers at least 6,000 letters in the year. Now, while he's there, he stumbles. There's a bunch of kids. It's this really run-down, creepy, dilapidated town uh, where these two clans, these two families have essentially been at war with one another for decades. In the course of his time there, he runs into a man named Klaus, who's a woodworker, a toy maker, and a woodsman who lives even more secluded up in the mountains. And together, they start to establish this legend of essentially what would become Santa by delivering toys to kids who write letters. So he inspires these kids to write these letters because these letters appeal to Klaus's love of children and, and the, the heartbreak he's felt by not being able to have his own. And he's saddened by the fact that they are so miserable in this town. And in return, these kids are writing letters that the postman is sending and, and building towards his goal of 6,000 so he can get out of the town. And of course, all of this leads to a series of changes of hearts and learning and the spirit of Christmas and all that stuff. It's so formulaic, not a damn thing wrong with it. It is why we have a three-act structure. It is why this story exists and plays so well. It is, you talked about saccharine sweet delicious Christmas goodness when we talked about love actually and you have the audacity sir to say anything negative about this one <laughs> which is as saccharine sweet as you can get but yet still so much heart and it delivers the notes you want you know when you watch a rom-com if it doesn't hit the certain things you want it to do you burn the theater to the ground this is a Christmas movie through and through in every way it it and it delivers but I think it's not just formulaic. It is, it, it, it exists within the structure, but yet also delivers a different flavor in how this can come to be. <sighs> a few things. So first of all, at the beginning of the movie, where he is being his entitled sort of bratty self, that was giving me very strong Emperor's New Groove vibes. Totally agree. Absolutely. Uh, Which is a story that Pablos would have been familiar with because he was there at that time. Ah, uh, well, that absolutely makes sense. I uh, just, I, so much so that uh, I even had to look up because of the, the voice acting, uh, I was like, is, is this uh, David Spade? Like, is this <laughs> Jason Schwartzman? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, exactly. It, it, it wasn't. Um, but, just it, it 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 evoked that such of a, a strong reaction in me. Like I was like, this this has to be him. Um, That's a good pull. I can see that. Yeah, and so just but the rest of the movie just felt a little too formulaic. It because I've I've seen other movies like it where someone has this secret. They have like this secret plot, and then they end up. I don't know, like changing their hearts or changing their mind about their plot and end up sort of helping the the group that they're with. And then, you know, the group ends up finding out that this plot is 
what this person actually secretly had, and then they turn against them, but then at the end, everyone's happy. Um, just, I, I was, I was actually trying to think of a movie. Uh, the, the, the first one that popped into my head was uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, <laughs> <laughs> where you know she, she, she's a reporter, or she, she's writing, she's trying to write this article, and she's, try, you know, just trying to go on dates just to be able to write this article. Ends up falling for the guy. You know, he finds out. It's just, it's, it's the same oh, sort of. Never been kissed, Christmas Prince, but yeah, of course. Yeah, it's yeah. the same shell of of a, of a movie just this this just has a different sort of wrapping around it where people um, believe you're one thing unaware of your ulterior motives which then lead to you changing your heart and then being a good person exactly sure but but i agree with you this this is a very saccharine sweet movie there are parts in it that i really love I really love the children in the movie when he's coming into the town and all of the, all of the inhabitants are just so creepy. And these children are like stabbing the snowman with I would have thought you would have loved that. I, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I loved the, uh, the, the quirkiness of that. I don't know. There were, there were, there were so many little things like that throughout the movie that I think just gave it a really good, unique character to it overall i liked it is it love actually no (laughs) insanity okay but (laughs) but is it is it a good family christmas movie that people can watch every year yes i will agree with you on that will i watch it every year no do i think it should have been nominated for an academy award or or a bafta yes um, I, I probably won't say whether it should have won or not, but better not. Uh, <laughs> but it at least should have been nominated, just because. And I'm not the, saying what it should have won. I'm saying it shouldn't have lost to Toy Story Four. It won the BAFTA. <laughs> that's that's a, that's, a, that's a that's a very fair point. Yeah, that's a very you. fair point. Thank you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's 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 a really good heartwarming Christmas movie. Um. I really love the voice acting in it. Uh. I I love J.K. Simmons as Claus. Yeah, he's um, awesome. He's he's awesome. He really everything that he does is is fantastic. Uh, and then I really love Joan Cusack's uh, voice acting as well as one of the, as like the matriarch of one of the clans. Yes. Um, yeah, she 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 was just really fantastic in the, in in her acting uh, in the movie. So um, yeah, I mean overall, I I have more good things to say about it than bad. Just the cookie cutterness of it really kills it for me. So, you know what's funny about that, and what to me felt very different, is a couple of things, right? It has this overarching theme of, and they mention it throughout the movie, of of essentially, you know, one good deed sparks another, right? (sighs) Yes. But, they're saying that, right? Wow, the main character is not doing this out of a selfless, I think what they say is a selfless act. Right, yes. a, a selfless, a genuinely selfless act sparks another, and what the movie kind of shows is that even uh, even one that isn't selfless still sparks the change. This town changes, even though our lead protagonist is doing everything selfishly. Right, this is a genuinely selfish act, but it is seen by others as something different. And I love that dynamic, right? 
that that it is you know and, and it may be formulaic and and whatever but i think that's a fun thing to explore and i think putting it in the context of a christmas movie is interesting at at, at the very least I think where you build on that is when you start to explore the origin of not Christmas. This is not the origin of Christmas, which I really also like. Christmas exists, right? It is a thing that is happening whether there's a Santa or not, right? And, and, yeah. I, and I find that very interesting as well because I feel like it's one of the few Christmas movies that doesn't sort of mark the impetus of the holiday with the origin of Santa Claus. It exists in a religious connotation. It exists in a cultural connotation. Take it for whatever you will when you watch this movie. But they use Christmas as as essentially a, a branding day, as saying, like, this could be a big day where we, like, go crazy and mail a lot of letters and do whatever. But it focuses mainly on the birth of the myth of Santa, and I find that the way they do that and the characters they build to accomplish that are wholly fascinating and unique. I think the approach to Klaus as this woodsman who, you know, lives this hermit life because of the of the tragedy that he's faced in his life and the and the dreams and the hopes that haven't come true and to watch him slowly warm and find family and love and acceptance in a way he didn't anticipate is playing at the exact same time that the town is finding an identity and love again and light is coming in. The scene where they expose that Christmas market or, or whatever because you've been watching yeah. this movie and when the teacher is like, you don't even see what you've done and suddenly the town is changed. Transformed, right? yeah. The clans are coming together. I think it also explores the idea of just this deep-rooted hatred that people don't even understand anymore as to why they're doing it. Why do we hate one another? Why do we hate this, that, and the other? And at the end of the day, you know, it's through the love and the innocence of these kids, which is so lost because the parents are just trying to inflict this negativity on them, but it won't take because in their hearts they are good and pure and innocent and they just want to help and help one another. When the one kid offers for the redheaded children to come and play on the playground he got from Klaus the night before, it's it's so, so adorable. I think also, too, um, watching then the evolution of the mythos, right? How, you know, how does Santa fit? He can fit in any size chimney. And it's not because he's huge. I saw him outside the window. But what they don't know is there's this super skinny guy getting burned to death every night just trying to do this for his own selfish reasons. And that's why he can fit in your skinny chimney. Or, you know, the kids getting coal instead of presents if they're not good is just because he hated this one kid and was just being a total... <laughs> passive aggressive douche and he put coal in his he's like take that kid right and it it just it just makes it so real and and so and but again to go back to like you know that that overcoming hate and this in in this thing couldn't be more poignant today and and, and it just speaks volumes on so many levels so i think what makes this movie so special and and not necessarily formulaic is that it fires on more than just one cylinder this isn't just a story about a douchebag kid who becomes, you know, the savior of Christmas. It is that. 
but it is other things. It explores tragedy and loss in a way that you don't see in a lot of family movies. And it explores this idea of, you know, this, this deep rooted history and hate that no one fully understands why and how hearts can change through, uh, through the work of a few and, and all this other kind of stuff. And it explores all these things at the same time. And you get a love story, and it's Christmas, and it's in, and and like you said, the voice acting is brilliant. J.K. Simmons steals it. You buy him as this grizzled, you know, quiet, just beaten down man, but then he very much becomes, you know, the 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 Klaus that we be, would imagine him to be, and and I like too that it leaves so much in in. Uh, in the unknown and in the ether, right? There is a magical element to this world that is never really explained or understood, yeah. right? With the with the wind and the snow. And then in the end, right? Like, does he actually become, you know, and without spoiling a ton, it's, it's a really, it's, that's why I can't stop thinking about it because there's so much that you can watch this movie and take from it at any given time. And I feel like the reason I want to see it again and again and again and again is because, okay, I understand the overarching idea now. Now I want to dive more into Klaus's. I want to find the things that make Klaus special. And now I want to focus in on the town. Now I want to focus in on the teacher. And I want to focus in. There's so much to absorb. And it does it so well in, in a short amount of time. It is an efficient, beautiful movie. That, and you usually don't get those two things together. You can't be efficient and good. No, I, I completely agree in, in that sense where it is – you start watching it and it just keeps flowing. It, the, the time doesn't feel like it's dragging. Plus the messaging, exactly what you're saying, the messaging in this movie, um, you don't really get in a lot of other movies. Um, so I, I, will, I will absolutely agree with you um, on that. On that aspect, the ending. I, yeah, like, again, we're not going to ruin anything here. I, I, I'm not sure if I actually like that ending. I can. I would agree with you on that. I would. Ag- I think it. I think it hits it a little too on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas everything was just like you sort of described. You're building up the mythos, um, just sort of slowly in different uh, aspects here and there, but then the ending becomes a little too on the nose, a little too magical. Um, actually, I, I was watching it actually with my husband and the, the very last line of the movie. Oh, it made me actually, cry. It made me cry. Oh, it made you cry. He, he actually said, is, is there some Brokeback Mountain stuff going on? <laughs> because, <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't get that at all. Okay, just re rewatch it. It was, I, I started cracking up. Uh, just just because of the way that 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 he says the line, I don't know. It was it was just really out of the blue, and um, I ju- I just found it really funny. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I, I I agree with you that it's a little on the nose, especially given how grounded the rest of the movie felt for me. You know, it kind of was just like, wait yes, a minute, absolutely is is that okay? But I I guess I I bought it because you kind of know the modern take on Christmas and it, and it feeds it into how this can continue to exist. Yes. But more than anything, I think that ending spoke to, and I can, I guess in a way I can see, I can see <laughs> your guys's point in that 
I think it really gives a beautiful nod to the love uh, in this friendship. And it's more than, I mean, they truly genuinely were family. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I saw him as their father, like, uh, you know, his and his wife's father at, at that point. When, you know, towards the end, when we see how the relationship continues and progresses for years and years after, yeah, you know, it, it becomes something very different. But, you know, but I mean, I don't know that the ending line, the ending as a whole felt very like, uh, but then when it was worth it for that, for that moment. And I was just like, oh, because in that moment, I just think to myself, and I'm, I'm kind of going to ruin it a little bit. I think about all the people in my life that I miss and, and what I would do if I could see them one more time. And, and that just sort of like, oh, it just drilled me. It drilled me hard to my soul. Uh, and I guess I have a heart that is just we know this, made Joe. with coal. Because... We, yeah, we know this. Two sizes uh, too small. <laughs> the heart that grew a bit earlier in the episode has shriveled up once again. No, but I think it's a good point. I mean, these movies aren't for everybody. And, and, and I think what I do love about this, and I love having you on the show, is that you do provide <laughs> that cynical view <laughs> on literally anything and uh <laughs> but i but i think i think there are people who will agree with me i think there's people who agree with you and i think there's people who exist in the middle and it's you know it's hard to um it's hard for me to be unbiased and it's not the point of this podcast i'm not trying to necessarily always look at things hypercritically there are some things that just hit you and and you can't fully explain it and it's just me likey because me likey and now i think this one really does this one does something special. This movie, for me, is special. And, and I think if if you are like me, you're going to watch this and feel very much the same. Um, but if nothing else, I don't want to speak for you, but correct me if I'm wrong. If nothing else, it's it's a, you know, it does the job and it's a, it's a good family movie. It's different. You can appreciate the artwork behind it. And, and especially once you kind of know the story behind it, it, maybe it makes it a little bit more unique and special. And it's, it's, if nothing else worth the watch to see what animation could be, if we weren't so married to, to pumping out as much as we could, as fast as we could, as cheaply as we could, because this movie is a genuine work of art. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it is a genuine work of art. And you know, if, if you, are into Christmas movies, if you like animation, if you have a family, if you're looking for a good Christmas movie, definitely watch this one. Uh, I, I don't think most people would be disappointed in it. Yeah, I agree. I gave Klaus a very rare, very, very rare 10 out of 10. I thought this movie wow. was flawless. I thought it was perfect and when you factor everything in together even even with the the rough landing at the end it, it's still that final line with with all the effort they did to build that those feels in me throughout the movie for me yeah. that final line just delivers the the gut punch i needed to to release the pressure and let those tears <laughs> flow a little bit and 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 that is you know even that is its weakest point it still found a way to make me feel good um even given that that weakness so it's a 10 out of 10 for me without without a doubt let me ask you this is this a 10 out of 10 as a christmas movie or 10 out of 10 
as a movie? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good question. And but I think it's um I don't know. I don't think we can I don't think we can separate apples and oranges when it comes to movie reviews. I think you just have to mm. kind of look at it on on the whole. And and I can I mean I will genuinely tell you this. It is one of the few Christmas movies I will happily watch throughout the year. But it it will make me long. Like we talked about Love Actually, it's one yeah. that you could watch at other points and not long for Christmas. This movie would make me sad it isn't Christmas. It will make me want Christmas. Mm. So I think maybe that will keep me from watching it multiple times. But that's not a ding on the movie. It's just that, you know, I don't I don't want to miss Christmas in, in May. <laughs> I got a long way to go. Um I would give it a ten out of ten, 10 just 10. as a movie. Because I, I, you just you muddy it if you're getting in there yeah. and saying, because then it's okay, it's a Christmas movie, but is it's an animated movie? Is it a ten Christmas movie kids <laughs> movie or a ten Christmas movie like Die Hard? You know, it's you know we're not gonna. I can't do that. No, that's absolutely fair. Uh, I, uh, I I want to give this. It's definitely higher than the other movies that we've watched. Uh, I'd probably give this an eight out of ten. Um, okay. It's it's for me it's definitely not a ten, uh, but it's but it's, I mean love actually wasn't a ten, so how can we expect this to be a ten? <laughs> very true, very true. Joe uh, is that teacher who's like no one gets an A plus. That's impossible. <laughs> oh no, there are some movies that I will definitely give a, a ten out of ten to, um, but but no case, children died in this one, so that is very true. That is, <laughs> Actually, one ten out of ten movie that I can think right off the top of my head, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, like right there. Uh, but yeah. I think that's that says everything that it needs to say. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, you're 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 right. This this movie can be watched by everyone. It, it'll it'll give you that nice warm feeling. It's just a really overall good movie to watch. You know. With your family sitting down on a couch, you know, making memories uh, with them. Is it the perfect Christmas movie for me? No, but uh, I, I don't think, like I said before, I don't think most people are going to be disappointed at all. Yep. No, we can agree on that at least, my friend. So there you have it, folks. My top three and Joe's thoughts <laughs> on those. <laughs> so again, Four Christmases, Elf and Klaus. Four Christmases on AMC. Elf on Stars and AMC, Klaus on Netflix. Go check them out. Let us know what you think. Shoot us a, a DM on Instagram, an email, whatever, and let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear it. Next week, no new episode as we will be celebrating Christmas with our families, but we encourage you to scour our archives and catch up on any and all episodes that you may have missed so far this year. And Absolutely. If you are celebrating Christmas, please, please have a Merry Christmas and enjoy that time. If you're celebrating Hanukkah, enjoy your Hanukkah. Whatever holiday you celebrate this time, we're hoping that you guys are kicking back, relaxing, and just having great time together, especially in the midst of all the craziness that's been going on this year. Now, following our break next week, we will be back with one final episode on New Year's Eve where through the magic of podcasting, Tim will be back with me as we break down Netflix's recent original film, Rebecca, based on the book by Daphne du Maurier and on the 1940s Alfred Hitchcock 
classic. Rebecca is available now on Netflix, the 2020 version that we'll be focusing on primarily. And the original 1940 version by Hitchcock is available in its entirety on YouTube. Just Google Rebecca 1940 and it'll pop up. Um, this is one, Joe, that I would love to hear your take on. So we've already pre-recorded this episode, uh, assuming Tim would be out. But uh, I hope you will listen and watch them and, and we can talk offline and, and, and maybe get your take because I'd be, I'd be curious. Oh, 100%. I'm definitely going to watch this. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, uh, check this episode out and any of our others on the Podbean app. This is proudly, proudly hosted by Podbean. Uh, so you can go to our site, host it on Podbean, 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 www.podsreviews.com. You can check us out on the Podbean app, available on iOS and Android. And of course, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever. We're there. We're everywhere. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram at Pause Reviews. You can shoot us an email, pausereviews at gmail.com, or you can snail mail us by just, uh, no, you can't. That's not happening. There's, there's no way to do that. <laughs> Joe, again, a massive, massive thank you for joining me on this episode and filling in so admirably for the late Tim. And I say late because <laughs> it's over for him, um, or it, at least it will be soon. Uh, but in all seriousness, thank you so much. You were freaking awesome, as always. It's a, it's always a joy to have you on here. Well, I appreciate it. It is always a blast being on here and talking about movies. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just love how different, how different our opinions are on some movies. And so it's, it's, it's always a good time. So thanks for having me on. I give you so much credit for stepping out of your comfort zone and watching <laughs> something that uh, that children can watch. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, Frank. Join this week by... Joseph. (laughs) We thank you for joining us. And uh, we will not see you next week, but we will see you in two weeks. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy Hanukkah. Have a Happy Holiday. And we will see you guys on New Year's Eve with Rebecca. Until then, see you when we see you.